Welcome to the Faith to You podcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Schrader. Do you know that when we compare a finite quantity to an infinite quantity, the ratio is zero? I love that math can teach us things about Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And if you think about it mathematically, the glory that we're going to realize in eternity is going to be infinite. It's going to go on forever. And any suffering that we experience here on earth is temporary. Inevitably, it will end. But why does there even have to be suffering? Why does there have to be pain in the first place? Well, the answer is because of the fall. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the, with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. What, what comes next, it's not worth comparing to what we're experiencing now. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 2.9, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived. God has prepared these things for those who love him. It's beyond your wild, wildest imagination what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, that's, that's what we get to look forward to. But now, all of creation has been subjected to futility. But the passage tells us why. After the fall, futility set in, and, and futility is death. Not everything is going to last forever. Everything's falling apart and all of creation experiences death. And death renders things futile. This is really what the point of Ecclesiastes is, that everything you do, you're just going to die. So what's the point of it all? Well, the point of futility is hope. The point of futility is hope. What what does Paul mean by that? He says this, All of creation has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. The point of futility is hope. In other words, God subjected creation to futility so that we wouldn't fix our hope to what's passing, what's fleeting, what was never meant to give us ultimate satisfaction and joy. You see, as we go through life and we come to the conclusion that it's, that it's futile, that it's empty, the inevitable conclusion is there must be something more. There must be something beyond. This can't be all there is. So God subjected creation to futility so that we would hope in something more, something beyond glory that's not even worth comparing to what is passing away. Now, God did several things when he subjected creation to futility, to preserve humanity. Initially, after the fall in the garden, Adam and Eve go out and they start a family, and immediately 
their sons fall into murder. You, you know the story. Cain kills Abel. Death comes into society. Not just death, but hatred and jealousy. All, all, these, all these evil things. And then as the story goes on through Genesis, it chaos ensues. After creation is subjected to futility, chaos ensues and, and murder gets worse. You, you go down a couple generations in Genesis and you get to chapter 6. And it says, when the Lord saw the human wickedness was widespread on the earth and every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he'd made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. And he says to Noah in verse 13, I have decided to put an end to every creature for the earth is filled with wickedness because of men. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. So God says, I'm going to destroy the earth because the whole earth is filled up with wickedness. And he sends a worldwide flood, and Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives are the only ones who are preserved. And God creates a new humanity from Noah's family. Well, when Noah comes out of the ark, God institutes something new, something he had instituted before the ark. In Genesis chapter 9, it says this, I will require, verse 5, I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. But you, be fruitful and multiply. Spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Now this is is the institution of government. God's saying there needs to be a consequence. There needs to be justice. If somebody kills someone, then they deserve the death penalty. Capital punishment is instituted by God. And organizations, structures that are going to enforce that come down from God. There's no authority that exists and that which has been established by the Lord. He's the one who raises up nations and then strikes them down. Now, you see before the flood that when Cain kills Abel, He's not put to death for it. He's cursed for it, but he's not put to death. After the flood, God says, I'm going to require life for life. That's where we see the institution of government in Genesis chapter 9. And as you go forward, Genesis 10, you see that that the population of the earth begins to increase. And then Genesis 11, they all try to gather together in one place and build a tower, the Tower of Babel. And God confuses the language and causes them to spread out over the entire face of the earth. In Genesis eleven nine, it says, therefore it is called Babel, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. So God scatters people, and what's formed after that? Nations. Well, nations are also created by God. Paul says this in Acts 17, verse 26, from one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So God gives nations and over those nations, he places government. We see in Romans 13 that government bears the sword. And the reason that government bears the sword is to be an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. 
So we see God establishes nations. Over those nations, he places government. And the result is that people might reach out and find God. Why? Because they see the futility of this existence. So what's the role of government? Well, it's to preserve humanity. It's so humanity doesn't destroy themselves. And it's also established this on the earth. There is a right and there is a wrong. That's why government's here. It's to show man that they are in the wrong and to show that there's consequences for wrong. So government points people towards the law, towards absolutes. That's the point of government. Now, when a government ceases to uphold the law, ceases to uphold absolutes, moral, moral truth of right and wrong, it ceases to be a government. In those areas where it's not operating based on ethical standards of right and wrong, it's not a government because the sword exists. Why? To be an avenger against the one who does wrong, Romans 13, 14. Well, it, God doesn't just end by creating all nations and making them spread out. He then calls one nation in particular. So Genesis 11, we see him spread out people, and then Genesis 12, we see him call one person. And we see the first institution of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a, a promise that's pointing forward to the Messiah. How is it that all nations are going to be blessed through Abraham? Through his seed, who Paul tells us is singular. It's meant to just be one. It's an individual. It's Jesus Christ. And what's interesting, after Paul says that that seed is Jesus Christ, he refers to the church as the seed. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. The church exists to bless all nations. So God institutes the church. And you can see Jesus instituting the church in Matthew 16 after Peter makes his great confession. And then Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. So there's these two institutions existing on the earth. We have a third one. We have we have family that God has instituted, that he has created. You see that right after the flood as well, when God tells Noah to be fruitful and multiply. Well, each of these institutions are appointed by God, are under God. And it's not a hierarchy. Each of them is under God. I talked about this in my in my sermon. But all of those exist on the earth so that the inevitable anarchy that can result from futility is pushed back. That's why we have government, the church, and the family. So the point of futility, I told you earlier, is hope. We, we live in the, the midst of sort of two realities. All of creation is falling apart. Everybody is dying. Chaos is increasing. Laws of entropy tells us, tell us it's going to get worse and worse, and scripture echoes that. It's going to get worse and worse. But right in the middle of that, we have Christ building his church, and his church is going to grow, is going to expand, is going to be solid. 
It's not going to be subject to the same laws of futility. This one organization that God has established upon the earth is going to last forever. Christ and the church. And it's going to last forever through union with the eternal Godhead, through union with Christ. And so the point of this chaos is that the world will turn to Christ. That's the, that's the point of futility, is that the world will come to Christ through his church, his, his ambassadors. The church is the embassy of Christ. We gather together in that embassy, and then we scatter out, and we go out in the world, and we plead with men to be reconciled to God. So the point of, of government within that is to keep society from delving into anarchy so that the church can have the opportunity, the freedom to share the good news of the gospel. We, we see within the church that the government wields a sword, but within the church there's a sword as well. But what's interesting, it's not wielded by the church, it's wielded by the spirit. The spirit wields the, the sword, which is the word of God. And what does he do? use that for? He uses that for convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, of real, reminding them, you're sinners, this is how you're supposed to live, and you're going to be judged, not by a human magistrate, but by the eternal judge. And the church, in the, right in the middle of that, is expanding the kingdom. They're given the keys that they might expand that kingdom. Well, Paul finishes out this thought in Romans 8, verse 23. He says that, not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. What that means is that we recognize the futility of this world, and we groan under it, longing for that final day. That final day when Christ comes back, our bodies are fully redeemed. And until then, we have the first fruits. We have the Spirit as we long for eternity with our Savior. Remember, the point of futility is hope. Thank you for listening today.